Pixelsift is proudly supported by the Murdoch University School of Arts and they might have what you're looking for in a creative degree. If you're keen to learn more, have a look at murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts to find out what they've got on offer. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts or you can search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts proudly supporting Pixelsift. Hello and welcome to episode 151 of Pixel Sieved, the show dedicated to indie games from around Australia and the world. My name is Mitch Lowe and I'm your host today and tonight my co-host is Daniel Ang. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be back in the studio. And uh, yeah, so you've recently come back from ninja training. Ninja training, yeah. Uh, sprained ankle was not good, but I'm back now. So. It's good to have you back. Thank you. And uh, and uh, our guest tonight is Julian Ball, who is the founder and lead designer at Flow Studios. Thanks for joining us, Julian. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. And Julian and his team have been developing Lens Island, a fast-paced dungeon crawl set on a beautiful and mysterious island. Wicked. Let's get into it. Australia's best video game podcast. Subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. So our guest this evening, Julian, is Julian Ball, the founder of Flow Studio, uh, the developers behind Lens Island, uh, which has just been very successfully funded on Kickstarter. Um, so for those of us who don't know um, anything about your game, um, what is Lens Island? Yeah, so. I guess Lens Island is sort of a, a smash between two big genres, uh, the typical sort of roguelike dungeon crawler and then the sort of more cool, calm, collected farm building, sort of home building, um, sort of open world based games. Something like, imagine sort of, um, I guess, farming sims like Stardew Valley, Minecraft, mix up with a bit of Diablo uh, and then you get Lens Island um, with a whole bunch of stuff sprinkled in between. A sort of an amalgamation of a bunch of different facets that, that I personally loved in game and the rest of the team are loved in games, and we combine that to create Lens Island. So, in the briefing, I'm reading a lot of you saying uh, a lot of text. It's like this is your this is your ideal game. This is your dream game. Um, was it difficult to get the rest of your team on board with like your your vision? <laughs> um, that was one of my worries to begin with. To be honest, though, it's funny because straight away. Uh, it actually wasn't hard at all. Um, Martin, the lead program of the game, was one of the very first people to see Lens Island sort of in action in that prototype phase that I actually uh, first made it in. And it was something that he latched onto it and I could sort of he see that he latched onto it. And it sort of gave me confirmation about the idea because I spent a year, year and a half working on the game just by myself, not really showing anyone. So there was a few select people that I showed the idea to um and they liked it so it, it's been all smooth sailing since then um the rest of the team martin and lars they're all for the idea they, they love the sort of the game and they've been just as sort of engrossed and immersed in the actual project in itself um just as much as i have so it's it's good to see the rest of the team just as passionate as i am and on that note julian um could you walk us through how did the initial idea begin and sort of take shape yeah, so look, I was a fanatic Rust player, if you know that game, multiplayer, base building, sort of base wars, fighting, first-person shooter game. And I've, I've just always loved um, sort of more social games that had a creative side. 
sort of like Rust, Minecraft, even even Stardew, all sorts of games, Terraria. I found it just really nice to be able to talk to my friends um, but also play creative games and that's what really sort of got me into that genre. And, um, yeah, so it actually started off with basically being a a home building simulator. I basically just made the building system for what currently is the building system in Lens Island and I just sort of sat around building houses um, for hours and hours on end and I really enjoyed doing it and I thought, wow, maybe I can make a game out of this and actually add some gameplay. And then slowly it evolved into Lens Island being top-down third person, including more farming, including more sort of open world dynamics and and then eventually the dungeon crawler aspects too. So what came first? The, like, so did, did, did the dungeon, like, did you know like that the dungeon aspect would come in at the end? Yeah, like I always wanted some sort of fighting element. Um, I think, funnily enough, the big draw for me as far as uh, sort of fighting and, and, and like that more intense gameplay was I really, really enjoyed it. But whenever I play games that have that more intense combat, I feel like they don't have those periods to just cool off and just chill out for a little bit. So that was something that I really wanted in Lens Island. Uh, it, I think a contrast in gameplay always makes you appreciate gameplay so much better. So if you just build a house all day, every day, it will get boring. If you just fight enemies all day, every day, it will get boring. So I, I knew I needed something to contrast that more sort of relaxing gameplay. Uh, I always liked the idea of having some sort of combat. I also loved uh, games like Team Fortress where you'd collect like these big abundances of items and and pour through different sort of um, abilities and all sorts of things, even like more mobile style games where you really test and trial loadouts. So I sort of that's where I wanted it to sort of rest is a game that was fun and calming and relaxing and creative. But then if you wanted a bit of an action, um, you, you could go get that action for a little while and then come back to it and, and have a bit of fun. And that still has depth in that aspect of the game too. What you just said really resonates with me because I'm going to use Fallout 4 as an example, but they introduced the house building mechanics in that. And after, you know, questing and going on different dungeon crawls and stuff, being able to come back and then just have like that, put all your loot yeah. down, go in there, build your room and all that sort of thing. Um, which is really cool. And would you say the uh, Lens Island leans more heavily towards one mechanic or the other? Or are the, what are the challenges between balancing uh, action versus, you know, the more reprieve sort of sections and base building? Yeah. Look, it, at the moment, we're trying to make it even because we realize there's lots of different people drawn to the game. Uh, I think the the original hook that gets a lot of people onto Lens Island is the visuals and just sort of the moment-to-moment gameplay running around the island. Uh, I tried to make it just like this really serene environment that you just enjoy being in. And the, the the key is to keep people there and to keep people playing the game and to keep it fun and interesting. So there will be people that are Dungeon Caller fans and they like fighting and they will come to game for that reason and they will spend a lot of their time fighting down the dungeons, doing that more sort of high-intensity stuff. Uh, but then there will be the people that hopefully we can sort of um, persuade to go more into that side that's the whole idea is that people playing the game, they can pick. You, you can spend a lot more of your time farming, building, exploring, or fighting, and you can actually progress quite far just doing one of those sort of pillars of gameplay. Though the way we're designing it is we want to try and um, persuade people and sort of like give people a nudge in the other direction, so try and get them to try new things because I think they will enjoy it if they just try something a little bit out of their comfort zone as well. 
from a development perspective, when you're when you're working on these two aspects of the game, do you find that sometimes you prefer working on one more than the other? Oh, sometimes I think as far as game development, um, things that you have fun doing. Uh, are typically things that you don't do for very long. Game development is a very long, strung out process. So you can spend months and months making a building system and looking at an island. And although I think the island looks very beautiful and pretty, um, you look at it for a month straight and you're pouring over the details and just a change in scenery is nice sometimes. So sort of switching in between working on combat system and then working on you know 3D modeling some trees and then walk- working on a water shader and then to something else um that's fun for me and i think the whole team appreciates that style and, and that's what's good w- with working in an indie team too is you get to take all these little sort of splices when you're working on the game development itself and keep things fresh and interesting um i'm an artist so i i think i definitely do enjoy the art side more just in general they're saying that though sometimes you can be um too much of an artist and i, I just want to program i want to do something that's a little bit different but I really, really enjoy making Lens Island as, as beautiful as I can. On that topic, actually, for the art, um, could you walk us through the development of the actual the visual style? Like earlier on, you mentioned you wanted to uh, wanted it to be inviting and warm and that sort of thing. And what kind of inspiration and references did you take by creating this very lively color palette? Yeah, it's it's funny actually because I've had a few friends personally tell me that they thought the game looks a lot like a lot of photos that I've taken. And I guess that's sort of subconsciously carried on through the game where I color grade footage and I edit photos and I, I, I like to work with certain color palettes when I create art and inadvertently it's just carried on through the game. Um, and usually my goal with creating photos or video or anything is I'm trying to make it attractive and I'm trying to make it inviting. That, that, that's sort of the process where I'm trying to make something that people look at and they feel good. And I think that's what has created that hook for Lens Island because aesthetic is really really powerful in games and it's amazing what you can do just by changing some colors or tweaking some lighting so it's definitely an area that i've spent way too much time in lens island but i guess when i think back to the roots it it definitely draws from my more sort of graphic design photography background as far as sort of the skills that i've applied uh to, to the actual style and just the general aesthetic of the game and also with uh, what you were saying earlier about contrast too, um, having different color palettes, especially during the day and have it be very bright and lively, do you contrast that with the dungeon crawling experience and how do you kind of make sure they're both separate enough? And I'm just curious to hear uh, your your process on that. Yeah, it's. I think just the fact that they are contrasted means that you appreciate the other one that much more. Um, but saying that though, they need to be coherent. Um, a lot of that comes down to subtle things with with the way I create assets, the way textures look, the way lighting um, changes, um, but also the colors, like the general color scheme. I think any game you create, um, it needs a coherent color scheme, whether you're in a nighttime scene under a cave or you're in a beautiful, um, lightly bright sort of ocean sunrise scenario. Although they're two completely different scenes, they can still be very coherent as far as color palettes used and the way that you achieve lighting results and and then also the way that you use assets as well. So where all the assets are made in the same way, they're all textured the same way, the lighting's using all the similar techniques and I've kept the color palette, palette as, as coherent as possible. But at the same time, I've also tried to introduce different elements um, on each side of the spectrum. So when you go down to the caves, you see things that you don't see above ground and it makes you appreciate it and it adds some intrigue um, into it. But then when you're above ground, 
it feels good to be, you know, nice and light and bright and actually be able to see everything around you and not hold up a torch everywhere that you walk. So I guess that's the general idea. It makes it feel like one big game, but you're definitely appreciative of the different sort of zones when you're in them. Um, so we we had a, we're doing a bit of research and we we real um, we found out that you recently left your job uh, to yep. enter full time indie development. What was that like? Yeah, look, it was a it was a slow process. It's something <laughs> it's something that's like a really cliche YouTube video is like I quit my job to pursue this, and um, it, it's something that was a very hard decision for me, and it, and it took a very long time. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I'm not looking back. I'm very very excited to to be going the pathway that I'm on. I've been working on Lens Island for a very long time, but it essentially got up to the point where I was working full-time as a marketing director at a, at a business and then went on to COO and I was flying around the world, flying around Australia and was very, very busy. And then I'll come home and work on Lens Island all night, all morning, and then I'll go to work. Um, and it just became way too full, my life. So I sort of devised a plan to, I guess, phase out of that and then work more and more onto Lens Island where I could set up the studio myself and basically set up the environment around me to be able to work on it full time. It's not something that's easy. It's not something that everyone can really do, but with enough time and planning, um, I don't know, people in similar scenarios to me can definitely make it happen. Uh, it's not very, it's very cheap to create a game yourself. It's very expensive to actually publish and make that game happen. But if you make a good idea and you build a good prototype, it's very easy to actually sell that and actually make money from it before you even make the game, um, whether it's publishing, crowdfunding, you know, building a YouTube audience, whatever it may be. Um, people can latch onto that. So th- there's plenty of opportunities for people to also do exactly what I did. And you wear a lot of hats. So like you just mentioned YouTube, you have a pretty uh, successful YouTube channel and now developing Lens Island. How do you go about managing your time and figuring out, you know, how much hours to spend here versus there and uh, scheduling your day and stuff like that? Yeah, look, it's, um, I think it's an art that I've, I've become accustomed to over time. Uh, look, looking back to my sort of teenager self, I like skateboarded and I couldn't imagine sort of I just would have been so time poor and I just would have wasted time everywhere. And then over the years, I've just gotten better and better at sort of constructing my days. Um, I don't know if I had any advice for people that want to sort of get the most out of their days is um, work with your strengths. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm really not a morning person, so I work much better at night and I've realized that. I've, I've tried to fix it, but it doesn't happen. So I work with my strengths and I, I really just try to plan my day and be goal oriented. I think that's a really key one is plan out your day, plan out your week, plan out your year and make sure you're constantly checking in with yourself and, and keeping track because that's what I do. It seems to work so far. Um, and also eat healthy, exercise. I know they're all things that contribute to just like keeping your energy levels up, staying focused. And uh, we've noticed in a lot of your dev diaries that you uh, mentioned workflow a lot. And um, and um, could you take us through like a bit of a bit of your personal workflow when you when you get an idea for the first time? Um, yeah. So as far as the game or anything specific, as far as the game goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I think one of you guys mentioned ArtStation before, and that's something I, I'm always browsing other people's work, trying to get ideas. I think. It's generally something that people take for granted is people like to um, look internally for ideas, uh, but, you know, there's a whole w- wide world around us that's full of ideas and it's always good to take inspiration and talk to people um, and try and find creative new ways to get ideas that aren't just 
you. Um, the second I talk to Martin or talk to my partner, talk to anyone, one of my friends, I'll instantly just get inundated with all these ideas that I just simply wouldn't have had otherwise. So typically, if I'm going to go make a tree for Lens Island or think about a mechanic or build some new UI, I'll browse the internet, I'll look on ArtStation, I'll look on Behance, I'll look through YouTube, I'll look through other games, I'll start playing or downloading new games on Steam or Xbox, whatever it may be, and just trying to see what's out there, trying to basically educate myself as much as possible in that area. And then typically I'll talk to people, I'll have a discussion and try and bounce ideas off someone and, and then try to formulate something. Uh, sometimes it can be a really quick thing where you'll just sort of have the foresight and, and create a, what I think is a great idea straight away. Sometimes it takes a little bit more time and effort. Even the, the idea for Lens Island as a whole, that was years in the making. It, it went through so many different stages and twists and turns. It wasn't something really straightforward. But I think the final product that was uh, well, is Lens Island, um, it wasn't just my idea. It was, it was a part of everyone. There was a lot of people that contributed to that idea over time. We, earlier on, we were chatting about uh, your good uh, good friend, Blender Guru, um, on YouTube, and he said something in one of his tutorials that have always stuck with me, and it's, you don't know what you don't know. Mm. And that's such a true statement, especially with everything that you were just saying, because if you try to do this in a little bubble by yourself, it's it's very difficult to kind of push yourself out of the comfort zone and actually realize that there's so much more going on that you can pull inspiration from. And uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what kind of advice would you give to somebody who wants to go into game development and how would you um, recommend them to approach it? Is there any specific way or just uh, different different sort of avenues to go down? I'm curious about that. Yeah, look, I think having my roots in YouTube, I've always been an advocate for self-learning, teaching yourself how to do things online through YouTube even. And uh, I think you just got to start doing it and build prototypes. Um, if if you're interested in game design, if you're interested in any facet of game design or any field related to it, you've just got to start doing it for starters. Um, I think it's really good to create projects rather than sort of distinct goals. So if I want to teach myself how to program, I wouldn't sort of read a programming book um, and then teach myself how to program and all of the um, all the fine I know intricacies of what programming language is. I will go, okay, I want to make a ball roll around in Unity and I want to recreate Pong or I want to recreate Mario. And then I'll use that as a sort of landscape to learn programming because there's a goal at the end of the tunnel and it's way more fun and it can, it can keep your attention span. And uh, yeah, so I think just goals, like setting regular goals all the time that are fun and actually something that is, um, I guess, like an objective goal that you can actually achieve and then you can look back and go, well, I completed that, I'm proud of myself. And then you learn something new the next day. Um, and then as well, just, you know, boast about your work. I think people need to, um, I don't know, be a bit less self-conscious about what they do, whether it's programming or art or game design, whatever it may be, tell everyone about it, um, post your work on Reddit and YouTube and Twitter, whatever it may be, and, and, and really share it with the world because there's people out there that are going to sort of connect with what you do. And those are the sorts of people that you want to um, connect with and, and really keep sharing your work with because, you know, one day they can add up to, um, someone that buys your game one day and become, you know, a great flourishing community. So just, yeah, talk about what you do, set goals and keep on going. <laughs> is there, is there a point where like you, you kind of have to rein yourself in though? Like, uh, like, is it like if you, you talk about yourself too much and people get sick of it? Yeah. Like I think everyone needs to have their own, um, sort of guidelines of, you know, self-promotion. Um, as far as social media, like if you make something that you're proud of, like, 
you know, share it. Um, why not? Look, I've, I've made a lots of YouTube videos and artworks and all sorts of things that are all throughout the internet. Maybe some of them looking back and going, oh, that's not too good. I don't know why I shared that. Um, but it'll help to get me where I am today. There's, there's some things, you know, you can go a little too far, I guess. Um, but basically post what you're proud of. If you're proud of something, I think that's a really good gauge of if you should post it, if you should sort of share it with the world or not. Um, yeah, yeah. If you could summarize, because um, Aussies are pretty bad at self-promotion in terms of the things we create. Um, if you could summarize, like, what, what, would your, what would your, like, maybe three top tips be, self-promotion? Three, for self-promotion, three top tips. Um, I gave, I guess, yeah, first one, only post things that you're, you're proud of, whether that be an Instagram photo, YouTube video, whatever. Um, if there's something, I've made plenty of YouTube videos. I've made elements for game design. I've made dev diaries for Lens Island. I sat there and I, I finished the whole video. I wasn't proud of it and I didn't like it. Uh, so I just deleted it and I didn't upload it. <laughs> and that's happened a few times. So know your limits, only post things you're proud of. Um, try new things, like constantly sort of adapt, you know. Uh, it's nice to hone your skills and get good at something, but people want to see something different every so often. Um, and then connect with people, like make friends. That's a really big one is especially the game dev community on YouTube is an amazing community full of really, really nice, helpful people. And there's thousands and thousands of communities like that um, all over the world for all sorts of industries. So if you can just find some friends in that community, you can help each other out. You can, it, it's really good to have people surrounding you as well. So Lens Island has just, well, it was crowdfunded and you reached the goal a couple of days ago and you've, you've now started to blow past it. So um, your goal was $33,400 yeah. and uh, you got 17 days left um, with uh, 492 backers. So I guess from a game development perspective, why, why choose to crowdfund? Yeah, like it's a question I get a lot actually. Uh, as far as indie developers, uh, from my personal experience, like I, I would, I would recommend going the crowdfunding route if you're a small indie developer, and it's it's a it's a doable <laughs> it, it's doable for you. Um, look, crowdfunding is a great way to to achieve two big goals is is to get some money um, because making games actually happen and putting them and just putting them on the marketplace and selling them is it's expensive. It costs a lot of money. Uh, apart from that, you also want to validate your game, your product. Do people actually want this? Is it good? Um, so I think that's two really good, powerful tools that Kickstarter gives you. Um, although I've spent years working on Lens Island, people seem to like it on my YouTube channel, but it's it's a bit different actually validating it and going, okay, will people actually want to buy it? Is this something that the world needs or the world wants? Um, and so far they've said yes, which is good. And then also it's expensive. Uh, there's so many costs combined with sort of setting up a studio that people don't realize. And, th and there's two ways to pay for those costs or three ways, I guess. First is out of your pocket. Second is through Kickstarter. Uh, and then third is through a publisher or some sort of external form of funding. Um, they all have drawbacks. Most people can't afford to fund it themselves. Um, Kickstarter is good, but you also need somewhat of a following. You need a bit of luck on your side and a lot of timing. Um, and then doing it through a publisher or external funding, you, you essentially have to give up something. You can get amazing funding, amazing marketing. You can push your game to a lot more people that never would have seen it before and potentially make more money and, and do greater things and build a great team down the line. But you will have to give up something. You will have to give up money. You'll have to give up control, um, whatever it may be. So really the goal for us was to, to eliminate as much risk as possible with creating the game. 
um, while also maintaining control over the game. We wanted to create the game that we want to create. So the best way to do that was to fund it ourselves. And Kickstarter was sort of how we got about that. Um, I've self-funded it up until now. And then Kickstarter is just going to help with that last little bit. But we, we hopefully don't want to go down the sort of publisher route um, or sort of any other sorts of funding. Um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, it's not a. It's not a luxury everyone can afford. But it's. It's typically you will get more control if you go through crowdfunding, whereas going through sort of any sort of publisher or um, external form of income. Were you already uh, uploading YouTube videos before you went down the Kickstarter? Oh, sorry, I mean before you started working on Lens Island. Yeah, yeah. That, look, that was definitely one of the big. Um, I guess bonuses for me working on Lens Island is I've had a YouTube channel. I've had it for six, seven years now, and I've been creating sort of graphic design and art videos and all sorts of things on that and building a community behind me. So I've made the sort of the slow change to um, game design videos, and it's something I've always been interested in game design. I've always created games. I just never really told people about it um, online before. So definitely I I could... um, I could boil down a lot of the success for Lens Island so far. It has also just come from the amazing community around Lens Island, which has been built from the YouTube channel. And it's something that we're really, really happy. Um, it, it just, it's really nice to see the community built around the game, but it, it, it's, it is a luxury. It's, not, it's something that a lot of game companies and indie developers don't have. Um, it takes years and years to build a community. Um, and then hopefully one day that community can sort of help you out and, and sort of give back to you and join, join the sort of the game. So... Yeah, but I've been doing YouTube for a long time now. <laughs> so would you say that community was a necessity for the successful Kickstarter? Yeah, I'd say simply put, yes, absolutely. It would. You can definitely um, make a successful Kickstarter campaign without having a large prior community. It's very, very hard. It, it, it's, yeah, the, the odds are like so stacked against you incredibly more so <laughs> when you don't have a large community. Um, but if you can imagine a YouTuber with a million subscribers trying to raise $100,000, like they do that in an hour, no problem. It, it's just not even a question. Um, but someone with 10 subscribers trying to raise $100,000, it, it's going to be really, really hard. Uh, it, it's Yeah, the more people you know, the more people are following you, it will always be easier to crowdfund. It's still possible both ways, but it will take more money um, as well. People invest a lot of money into their crowdfunding campaigns to actually get them to raise more money. So the less of a following you have, the more money you have to spend. Also, the better your product will have to be, the more time you'll have to um, spend trying to get it out there as well. And I'm curious, as far as community um, engagement goes uh, on YouTube versus Kickstarter, what are some of the differences there between managing you know, um, stretch goals and that sort of thing? And is it inherently different communicating with uh, your community? Yeah, like it, it's something I've always gotten used to, as I guess sort of communicating with the community. YouTube, I get inundated with all sorts of random requests. They're, they're a lot more sporadic on YouTube. So I'll, I'll upload a video and there'll be a thousand comments saying, you should put this into the game or doing this or add this. Um, most of them are all great ideas. They're all just very, very different from different people. And some of them, it's the very first time they've ever seen the project, the first time they've ever clicked on one of my videos before. And it's it's a very sort of um, surface level idea or surface level input or comment. When people are backing us on Kickstarter, They've taken the time to really look through the game and actually invest money into it. Like they want to buy the game. So, so far, the people commenting on the Kickstarter page are people that have been messaging me and even the people joining the Discord channel and joining the community from the Kickstarter, they're they're passionate, engaged people. They really want to see this succeed and they really want to tell us their ideas and and we we want to hear them. We want to try and work those people 
into what sort of ends up being Lens Island because uh, I understand just how important the community is and, and like I mentioned before, how many minds are better than one. So we're sort of lent on the community a lot so far as far as gathering ideas and helping them. It's actually one of the videos I have on my channel, um, one of the series of dev diaries is, is implementing the subscribers' ideas into the game. And I basically just spend a whole video showing everyone's ideas that actually got put into the game. I guess for a uh, final question, um, I wanted to ask, um, so how do, you, how do you plan on holding yourself accountable for your goals that you set for yourself on Kickstarter? Because um, you now have 400 people that you really need to keep impressed and, and, and keep updated. Yeah, yeah. Look, it, it's something that we thought very long and hard about our goals. They're not just arbitrarily set. Um, so one being pets, which is coming out very, very soon. Uh, well, hopefully we'll, we'll, um, we'll reach that goal of pets at $38,000. And that's something that we always wanted to have in the game. We've planned for it. Um, it was just something that would just be made a little bit possible. It would be made possible through a little bit extra funding. It's one of those things where, um, we're a small team. So the second we get a little bit extra money, it means we can hire animators. We can hire sort of 3D asset creators, um, all, all sorts of people to just, help out with little tasks here and there and create those assets and that content that we need in order to implement it. Um, there's all sorts of things that would end up implementing anyway further down the line. Um, Kickstarter can speed it up. It can make it happen at launch and very soon after launch. Um, and it can make the game more polished and a better game overall. Um, really, m money is something just enables more polish for games. It, it's the more money, the more manpower you have. The more manpower you have, the more things you can get created. Excellent. And uh, I just we've just come to the end of the episode. Um, but if you'd like to learn more about the game, uh, you can head to flowgamestudio.com or at Lens Island on Twitter. And uh, why not wishlist, on, on, wishlist it on Steam um, if you have a Steam account. And you can also follow Jillian on YouTube at The Graphics Flow, uh, where he uploads his great tutorials and on game dev and graphic design. Uh, so Pixel Sift is produced by Scott Quigg, Sarah Ireland, Fiona Bartholomeus, me, myself, Mitchell Lowe, Daniel Lang, Adam Trizzo, uh, Gianni Di Giovanni, and is our executive producer. Um, we wouldn't have been able to make 151 episodes of Pixel Sift if we didn't have the support of Murdoch University. So go check them out and tell them we sent you. If you're keen to learn more about a great creative degree, you can head to murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. That's murdoch.edu.au forward slash arts. And as always, we will be sticking the links to everything we talked about in the show notes of our website, www.pixelsift.com.au. And uh, Daniel? Uh, you can also come join us on Discord. We'd love to have you there. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord, where you can share your creative work, talk about topics and games and anything else. pixelsift.com.au forward slash Discord. And also, if you like what we do, can we please ask you for a favor? We need your help to share the show. So please tell a friend, subscribe your brothers and sisters and start someone's journey into podcasts today because we know getting started is tricky, but once you're in it, you're going to love it too much to leave. And if you like what we do, can we ask you a favor? Um, we do need your help to share the show. Uh, so if you tell a friend, uh, whoops, oh, I'm just messed up my my. We really need twice. your help to share the show. <laughs> <laughs> we need help to share the show. But next week on the 13th of August, we will be back with 152 episode 152 of Pixel Sift. So if you stick, you can stick around for that. Uh, that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us, and thank you very much, Jillian, for taking the time to speak to us on this episode. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. We'll catch you next time. See ya.